The Supreme Court ended its term with a bang today. The court will allow most of President Donald Trump's travel ban to go into effect immediately and will hear oral arguments on the case in the fall. The ban on people entering the U.S. from six mostly Muslim countries will apply to everyone except for foreigners with ties or relationships to the U.S. Conservative Justices Clarence Thomas, Samuel Alito and Neil Gorsuch said they would have let the entire ban take effect immediately. Joining us is Josh Blackman, professor at South Texas College of Law. Josh, how big a win is this for the president after appellate losses all the way up to the Supreme Court? Well, I think the most significant aspect of the court's ruling is that all of the justices seem to agree that the lower courts messed up and that they all agree that the lower court injunction must be modified, at least in part. And significantly, none of the justices in this uh, joint opinion um, delved into the president's Twitter account or looked to his campaign statements. It was a fairly mechanical, routine decision, the sort of decision we're used to seeing when the president's implicated, um, much unlike how the lower courts were, were doing these things that, that, frankly, had never been done before. And in fairness, we've never quite had a president like Trump before. So I suppose it's, it's part of the game. But the court, I think, signaled and put the brakes a bit on how the lower courts were addressing these matters. Josh, the the ban though does uh, still a, it was over at least the stay of the ban was kept in place for those with substantial contacts to the United States. Does that imply that the the grounds that the lower courts had found the ban to be problematic might still be a problem when the case gets heard in full by the Supreme Court? Um, I think you can look at this a couple different ways. Um, on the one hand, the lower courts held that because of President Trump's campaign statements, his animus affected every single aspect of the court's decision, right? Every aspect of the executive order was tainted. What the court held is, well, not every aspect of the order was tainted. Perhaps some aspects weren't. So in that sense, I do think there's a scaling back of the ruling. Um, it's entirely consistent with the court's ruling this morning that ultimately the decision is, I'm sorry, the executive order is invalidated by the court. But at a minimum, this idea that everything Trump touches with respect to Muslims must be unconstitutional, that part was, I think, repudiated. And joining us now is Jonathan Adler, professor at Case Western University. So, Jonathan, let's get your reaction to the court's decision on the travel ban. Well, I, I think it certainly is a partial victory for the Trump administration in that uh, the court clearly concluded that the lower courts had adopted overbroad injunctions. Um, I'm not sure it will be much of a, a long-term victory uh, because I'm not sure the court will ultimately rule on the merits of the executive order. Uh, by the time the court hears the case in October, uh, the 90-day period will have run. Um, the analysis that uh, the administration has said it wants to conduct, uh, will have been conducted, uh, and it's not clear that there will be much left to review. And so I would not be at all surprised if the court ultimately concludes that these challenges are moot. Well, the court did say in its order that the, the parties should brief that question, I think. And uh, Jonathan, let me follow up on that. Do you expect then, let's say that the administration does in fact uh, get an analysis done and put some new rules into effect. Can we expect a lot of litigation on whatever new rules the Trump administration puts in place? 
Uh, certainly. I mean, there are some groups that will uh, file lawsuits against anything the administration does. And then certainly, uh, if the administration were to try and make the sorts of restrictions that were in this executive order permanent, we would certainly expect many of the same states and uh, interest groups to file suit challenging those sorts of restrictions. Josh, if this does end up going to the Supreme Court um, in the fall, if this argument is made, would it be a major decision on the scope of presidential power, or could it be narrowed? I agree with Jonathan. I don't think the court ever touches this order again. I, I expect what actually happens is the, the case is argued in October, the justices realize it's moot, and what that does is it has the effect of vacating, that is, getting rid of the lower court decisions. Um, I see today's order as something of a compromise, right? It's not giving Trump a full victory. It allows the president to implement some of the order, suggesting that he does have this power. And finally, it prevents the court from having to get their hands dirty on this fairly difficult question. So this may be the last opinion that we see written about this case ever. That is, unless President Trump doesn't issue another travel ban in September once this one runs, a co runs its course. So I All see this as a, a victory of some sort. All right, let's turn to another case where the court agreed today to hear a case that pits gay rights against religious freedoms and could reignite the national debate over gay marriage. The justices are going to hear the challenge of a Colorado baker who says he shouldn't have to make cakes for same-sex weddings because of his religious beliefs. What do you make out of the court taking this case when they repeatedly deferred action on it, Jonathan? Well, it, it's hard to know. I mean, most people assumed when the court continued to defer action on the case uh, that the court was going to deny certiorari and that one or more of the justices uh, was going to write a dissent from denial of certiorari. Uh, often when a, a cert petition is held over as often as this one was, that's what happens. Uh, given that the court eventually took it, uh, there, there are several possibilities. One is that the court was waiting to see what Justice Gorsuch thought of it since the petition had originally been filed before he joined the court. Um, but w what this ultimately means is the court is going to deal with this uh, important conflict between uh, the religious exercise claims of people that uh, have religious objections to same-sex marriage uh, and to those that uh, support same-sex marriage and uh, whether or not or how we are going to reconcile uh, those uh, competing values. Josh, we got about 30 seconds here, but do you think that there's any, the court's going to have a hard time with this sort of avoiding racial discrimination if it allows religious discrimination, isn't it? Well, I, I think that there's a fairly long-standing constitutional prohibition and statutory prohibition against racial discrimination that simply doesn't exist with respect to sexual orientation or gender identity discrimination. So I think the cases are different. But what's worth stressing here is that I also thought the court was going to deny review. Maybe it's possible the dissent shifted someone else, and there could possibly now uh, votes to reverse the lower court on this one. Today was the final day of the Supreme Court's term, and one of the decisions the court issued today was a highly anticipated church-state case from Missouri. Missouri for, provides grant to schools for resurfacing their playgrounds, but wouldn't allow churches to participate in the program. The court just held that the, that prohibition was unconstitutional. Our guests today talking about the end of the Supreme Court's term are Jonathan Adler of Case, Case Western University and Josh Blackman of the South Texas College of Law. Josh, 
what exactly did the court say today in this church-state case? Well, at issue in this situation was that a, uh, <clears throat> a church owned a daycare, and attached to that daycare was a playground. And the playground applied to the state for a grant to get these um, uh, chopped-up uh, tire chips, which are used to resurface the floor. That way, if a kid falls off the slide, he doesn't crack his skull open, which seems like a fairly sensible idea. What the court said in this case was that the um, state could not deny the funding for this playground simply because it was affiliated with the church. And there is some precedent going back to the 50s which suggests that even though the government can't directly fund religion, if the funding concerns things like fire or police or general things which all people need, the state can do it. I mean, imagine if a church called 911 and the operator said, I'm sorry, we can't bring an ambulance to your church because that would be establishing a religion. And the court said, no, 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 no go. And this was actually a 7-2 to two decision. This was not 5-4. Jonathan, let's talk about the two, which were Justice Sonia Sotomayor and Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And the dissent was written by Justice Sotomayor. She felt so uh, impassioned by it that she, in a rare move, read it from the bench. Tell us about the dissent. Yeah, so for Justice Sotomayor, the, the important fact about this particular uh, situation is that uh, the church in question would actually get money from the state, albeit money that it was required to be used for a particular purpose, in this case uh, participating in, in the program to get the used the, the shredded tires for use as playground surfacing. In her view, it was uh, an unnecessary extension of the court's precedent uh, to allow uh, the transfer of money directly uh, to a church entity, uh, and in her view, this was an, an unnecessary extension uh, of the court's First Amendment jurisprudence. Uh, I note that I think it's hard to characterize this as much of an extension of the court's jurisprudence, and, and I think that's why the case was ultimately uh, seven to two. Um, but her opinion uh, did articulate uh, a view of the Establishment Clause, which seeks to uh, ensure a greater separation between activities of the government and the activities of religious institutions. Well, Josh, it certainly seems like the court is very different than, say, the court was in the 60s and 70s on questions of the Establishment Clause and the Free Exercise Clause and keeping church and state separate, even when it comes to funding. Is this a sign that the court's... Uh, the court's uh, consideration of religious rights and the strength of those claims that the court is now seeing is continuing? Here the wild card is Justice Breyer, who is generally quite liberal, but he has this odd affinity for religion. So some years ago there was a case involving the Ten Commandments, which were displayed outside the Texas Capitol. And Justice Breyer held that that was constitutional, and he wrote an opinion saying, I think it will be a bad idea if we start ripping up this monument, this stone monument, to, 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 to offend religious groups. And even in the Little Sisters of the Poor case that was argued last year, I think Justice Breyer showed a, a concern for the people of the faith who would be impacted by this ruling. And today, Justice Breyer wrote a, a brief concurring opinion where he basically said, I can't distinguish this case from the fire truck or the ambulance that shows up at a, at a church. How are we to say they can't get basic public services? Um, so Breyer has a strange affinity for religion, and also the newbie, Justice Kagan, didn't even write separately. She joined the majority opinion in full. 
She's not the new newbie now. She's she's uh, she's one of the uh, of the people who've been there a while. The newbies Gorsuch, right? So, uh, Jonathan, more than thirty states have prohibitions against public funds going to religious institutions. Does this case have implications for those states? Potentially, and Justice Sotomayor raised that concern. I think what will really matter in these states is how those uh, how those programs are implemented. Um, here. Uh, the state of Missouri actually, after the case had been accepted by the court, the state of Missouri actually uh, changed its interpretation of its own legal requirements uh, to say that in the future uh, a church like this would be eligible. Uh, I think what happens in other states will really depend on how stringently states seek to um, enforce their own state laws on this question. One thing the court noted is that uh, state laws that, for example, uh, don't extend educational benefits to religious courses of study, like studying to be a priest at a state institution, for example. Uh, those sorts of limitations uh, would would still be valid, and the court um, reaffirmed a decision in a case called Locke versus Davy, uh, which based the distinction not on the character of the recipient. Jonathan, of the I'm money, afraid we're going to we're out of time. We're going to have to leave it there. Our thanks to Jonathan Adler of Case Western University and Josh Blackman of the South Texas College of Law for being with us on Bloomberg Law.